So, Carl, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a while. In fact, um, maybe I'll we'll start off by saying last time I talked to you, you were, you know, the head of the region of UE, but you're now the national president. So congratulations. Uh, thanks, Jerry. Appreciate that. Uh, just uh, trying to do what I can to help uh, keep uh, building uh, a great union and moving it forward. Well, it's certainly certainly uh, a welcome thing because, uh, you know, you've been uh, a terrific leader for the union locally or regionally. And I know it'll be a great thing to have you at the at the national leadership. So it's exciting thing, to, exciting development, I think, for all of us. And um, I reached out to you because uh, you published a letter in, in these times um, that I thought was really important and I wanted to publicize, um, basically addressing the question of what unions needed to do in face of this COVID-19 crisis. And it really addressed a question that I had uh, for unions. I was on a, uh, a conference call or a webinar recently talking about, uh, it was a spokesperson for the AFL-CIO in the webinar uh, talking about uh, addressing the crisis. And, and the question I had for them was, you know, we're seeing this wave of strikes, uh, a lot of them by unorganized workers in particular. Um, and my question was, you know, what do the unions do in response to this? I mean, this is you know, really an exciting moment in that sense that we're seeing a lot of self-activity by workers. And what's the responsibility of the unions in this moment to really capitalize on this self-activity? And your article really speaks to that. Um, right. Uh, I mean, it's in fact exactly what we were trying to do because we were saying, seeing the same things ourselves, uh, um, in, including with, with uh, some workers who we already were starting to do organization amongst um, and and the level of activity uh, ratcheted up greatly as uh, as this crisis started to develop, um, but also seeing it from other workers that uh, that there was no organizing drive amongst, uh, and they just realized they got a problem and they better start doing something about it because the boss wasn't uh, going to do anything other than put them in greater danger. And you know, throughout history, uh, workers are uh, put in danger on the job all the time. And a big part of the fight for worker rights over the years has been to try to have safer jobs. And it's been a key role of unions to help make that happen, just not only for unionized workers, but for, but for all workers. Um, but now we're, but even, even so, many workers still get hurt or killed on the job on, every year, unfortunately. Uh, but this really ratchets up to a way higher level uh, with what, what's going on here. And any employer that that isn't uh, isn't taking every uh, step that they possibly can to protect the workers who are still working or to send home workers who aren't needing to be working uh, really deserve to, to you know, uh, be challenged on that. Uh, and the best way to challenge is uh, through organization. Right, right. And you lay out some kind of, you know, bullet points of what you think uh, unions need to do to address this, this issue. Uh, at one point, I'm going to quote you here. You say, the immediate need of workers at this moment is not a comprehensive list of demands, but rather three basic principles that speak to their survival needs. Can you talk about what those three basic principles are? Sure. Um, the, the first is that uh, we need to fight to make sure that uh, employers shut down any workplaces that aren't truly uh, critical to sustaining life. You know, there's this very vague term of essential workers, and it's being abused terribly. Um, you have uh, whole swaths of industry and construction and other places that are all claiming that they're essential. And depending on how governors wrote their uh, language, they might be technically 
uh, correct that they're essential. But in terms of actually um, minimizing uh, illnesses and deaths and helping get the pandemic under control and reducing the number of people who end up having to uh, go into the hospital because they've become infected and seriously ill, we really need everybody staying home that, that can stay home. And so, uh, you know, uh, the way we look at it is, uh, if you're if you're not absolutely critical to sustaining life, which is obviously healthcare workers, people in the food chain, um, you know, and and uh, other first responders, et cetera, uh, that that you really should be staying the hell out of the way and staying home. And and to the extent people aren't, it's because employers are are refusing to shut down. So that's fight number one is to get those employers to shut down, to expose them, and and to get them to shut down. And the workers can play a big role in that. Uh, number two is for um, those workers who are in truly critical jobs, that we need to make sure they have uh, all of the uh, all of the uh, support, all of the uh, uh, PPE, et cetera, uh, the personal protection equipment that they need to do their work safely. Um, and and that's that's incumbent on all of us inside to help make that happen. But but obviously the workers need to be organized to fight and, and demand that. And uh, in a lot of uh, both healthcare facilities and food facilities and other places, a lot of the workers are not organized. Uh, the good chunks of them are, but there's big chunks that aren't. And and so the labor movement needs to be helping those workers, um, uh, you know, stand up for themselves, help them help them get organized for that. Um, and then the third is uh, that in order to allow uh, the great bulk of the workforce to stay home, they need uh, all the economic support. Uh, Healthcare uh, coverage, et cetera, uh, that is necessary to uh, to sustain that. Uh, because if if people aren't able to afford to stay home, uh, they're going to be pushing to go back out and go to work, or going out and looking for side jobs, or whatever else, which then you know creates the problem of too many people getting exposed. We don't flatten the curve. Uh, this thing extends out uh, longer and longer, and and we don't get it under under control. And so that's really uh, that last section. Um, is a set of demands that really it's it's up to Congress to fulfill. Um, they're the ones who uh, who can uh, write the checks to underwrite the economy, and they've done some. They haven't done enough, and so we we have to be organized as uh, workers to be demanding that they take care of that too. You also uh, go on in the article to talk about you know making sure that we're careful about you know, what we take on here and, and, and uh, you know, what, what, what is really uh, possible and, and, and not kind of go overboard in terms of what, what, what it was really capable to do at this moment. You, you, I'm going to quote you again here. You say, rather than attempt to plan a national coordinated set of actions that would likely be joined by only a smattering of already committed activists, what is needed instead is to help large numbers of workers gain the tools they need to lead the fights at their workplaces. I think what you're speaking to there is there's already a lot of activity going on. There's, there's in, in a way, no need to kind of encourage the strike wave. The strike wave is already happening, but it's getting to those workers the tools they need to uh, to make those successful. Uh, that's right, and and I guess you know what I'm what I'm counterposing it to is what. Uh, what what frequently has been an approach at times like these is to get a beautiful set of demands made up, um, and then issue a call saying you know all workers should you know should strike over this on such and such a day or or whatever, and you know there's not capacity to to make that happen. Uh, you know we're not in touch with enough people. 
Um, they, it's not grounded in what they're facing on a daily basis. Um, instead, you know, find out uh, with each set of workers that you can get in touch with and use social media and, and various allies based in the community, et cetera, to get, to get in touch with folks. Uh, you know, find out what is their immediate need. Uh, is it to get their place shut down? Is it to get much improved safety standards at their workplace? Um, it's going to be uh, one of those two things if they're still working. And, and then give them the tools they need uh, in, order to, uh, in order to figure out how to self-organize and fight around it. I mean, you know, one of the things we've, we've done a few things as, as UE. Uh, we've put up um, on our website um, a, uh, a section uh, called the Fight of Our Lives that has uh, the basic tools for any group of workers to start self-organizing. We're not trying to, you know, have this be a secret that you have to have a professional paid staff organizer come and show you how to do these things. Um, if you want to be in touch with us, we will have a staff organizer talking with you about it, but you can also get started on your own, how to, how to you know, figure out how to put together an organizing committee, how to, um, how to come up with what your demands are, how to have a petition around it, how to take a letter to the boss uh, making these demands, what your legal rights are. That's all right there on our website for any group of unorganized workers to use at ueunion.org. And, um, and we're encouraging that other unions uh, ought to do that, too. And, and, uh, but then, you know, we also need to there's, – there's a lot of allies out there working on this. In fact, we're, we mention it in here. We're, we're actually uh, working uh, jointly with uh, DSA on, on this project at this point because uh, we noticed that they had uh, put a uh, – uh, a form out um, uh, via Facebook that was just encouraging workers to uh, to you know fill it out if they needed to uh, organize and fight back around COVID-19 issues at their workplace, and they were getting lots of leads. We were getting lots of leads just you know through the work that we were doing. Uh, we put our heads together and said let's let's go at this together and you know figure out what are the what are the ones that uh, UE can help carry forward. Um, what are the ones that they can help carry forward. And what are the ones that we can get other people to start helping us on too? And this is kind of a a distributed model of organizing, as you were, uh, as you would. Um, it, uh, uh, it it it's recognizing that the labor movement doesn't have the capacity right now, in terms of the number of paid organizing staff, to go out and organize all the workers that need to be organized. I mean, it wasn't done that way in the 1930s during the mass organizing. My own union, UE, was organized almost exclusively in the early years from the bottom up. It was workers self-organizing, and, and you know, they, they after a couple of years, they cobbled together a national organized national organization to provide to hire just a very few staff to go out and, and help in organizing. But basically, workplaces, uh, you know, got organized from the bottom up. That's part of why we've maintained our real democratic rank and file uh, um, approach to unionism because we were organized in that way, but. Uh, it, it, it's what was happening in the, in the 30s, and, and if, if, if workers had had to wait uh, until paid staff showed up at their uh, plant gate, um, you know, a lot would not have been done. That doesn't say there isn't a role for, for uh, paid staff. Of course there is. But right now we have the possibilities of moving forward a lot more if, um, if, we, uh, if all of the unions would uh, give the tools to workers, trust them, with uh, with moving things ahead, uh, and uh, you know, part of part of the reason we can do it right now is employers need their workers so much. Um, they're they're much more dependent on their workforce than they normally are. They they aren't in a position 
in most cases to go out and uh, and get other workers. Um, the, the you know the, the timelines are very tight on everything. Uh, workers are in some ways in a relatively strong position in terms of uh, there being much more robust unemployment benefits than usual. So even though there's a lot of workers out of work, um, most of them are getting signed up for unemployment and and will have a decent flow of income. Um, Still some concerns around health insurance. We've got to fight for, uh, uh, you know, people that all get switched over to Medicare who are uh, uh, without insurance or underinsured uh, right now. And there are good fights for that going on in Congress. And, and some steps have been taken at least uh, to make sure that if uh, somebody needs uh, uh, COVID-19 treatment, uh, there seem to be mechanisms in place uh, uh, that that's taking place at least. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we're in a situation where uh, workers really have the upper hand uh, in a way that they haven't in a long time. It's just up to the union movement uh, to, uh, uh, you know, get that word out to workers and, and give them a little bit of a boost and, and they can carry a lot of stuff forward themselves. There's, there's so much you said there that I want to unpack because there's so many important things you brought up there. And, and I'm really glad you mentioned uh, several things because there were, there were a couple of questions that I was going to ask you that you already kind of started to answer there. And I'm glad I, I was v- yeah very interested in um, well, you, you, the, the, the tools that you put out there that you, you linked to in, in the article um, uh, you know, that were up on the, uh, the UE website and so on that you're providing. And yeah, that, that partnership with DSA, with Democratic Socialists of America was very interesting because that's something I don't think has happened in the labor movement, you know, probably certainly since the second world war. I don't, certainly since the, the red scare, I, I don't think we've seen that kind of partnership between a socialist organization and a, a union. So that is really amazing to see and innovative. And it, it really speaks to the shift. I think we're seeing, um, you know, within the politics uh, in the country and in the synergy that's happening between the socialist movement and, and unions. So, um, and the just um, unbelievable growth of the DSA recently. So it's, it, we really seem like we're at a moment right now. And this crisis with the, with COVID is really crystallizing that um, in terms of, uh, of a real possible sea change in terms of working class power and so on. So I, I, it just, that part of it really, I thought was impressive. Well, I, it, it seemed uh, pretty obvious to us once we saw what they were doing and once they saw what we were doing, uh, that there was a, there was a good uh, matchup here in terms of uh, helping workers get organized. I mean, that's what this is about. And, uh, you know, some of them might end up getting organized in the UE. Some may end up getting organized into other unions and some may not actually, you know, form anything that looks like a union, but they'll have uh, self-organized enough to push their boss to do some things that make their lives better. And even just that helps give workers the training they need that uh, down the road, whether it's at that workplace or another, um, they'll be able to, uh, to figure out uh, how to stand up for themselves and help other workers stand up for themselves. It's a real teachable moment in, in that sense for uh, for uh, for working people, but we are hoping that you know, with a lot of these efforts, uh, that each one of these events that takes place, where workers stand up and it gets up and it gets into the media, it empowers other workers. It makes them realize that they can do this too, and you can uh, you can get a wave going here um, in a way that can uh, can change uh, both the uh, the level of worker activism and and worker organization, uh, but also uh, 
continue to change the political dynamic in this country. One where that's already showing the the vast majority of people in this country now supporting the type of programmatic change uh, that's needed on behalf of working people, whether it's Medicare for all, so that uh, workers are now no longer uh, uh, having their health insurance tied to their employment or not having health insurance at all, which is increasingly common, um, uh, or uh, or you know all of the various things that are needed around the social safety net, um, around, uh, around environmental protections, um, around you know, moving in the direction of a, of a Green New Deal where we make sure that workers in the industries that are you know, going to get uh, largely uh, you know, sidetracked in terms of the carbon-intensive industries over the coming years, uh, that those workers are, are uh, treated decently and taken care of while we move on to a new economy that has good jobs, good union jobs uh, for uh, for everyone, and that our policy becomes one of full employment, as opposed to uh, one of uh, encouraging some level of unemployment in order to uh, to keep uh, workers uh, scared and underpaid. I mean, all of these things are have very solid majority support in this country at this point, and uh, and what we just need is uh, the action component amongst uh, workers to. Uh, to make sure that uh, some of these things are met. I think, again, you actually already answered, like, what was going to be my next question, too, which was, um, at one point in the uh, article, you you speak about, um, you know, the benefits of already some of the legislation that's been passed, you know, uh, providing expanded unemployment and things like that, but you talk about how it's not enough. And you, 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 at one point, uh, again, quoting you, you say, already there are a number of excellent proposals that address these issues, but you don't spell out what, exactly what those uh, proposals are, and I was going to ask you what you th- those other proposals are. It sounds like maybe you're speaking to those with what you just talked about. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 you, you can certainly look at uh, what Bernie Sanders uh, put forward as his priorities. Uh, a little over a week ago, uh, UE put a statement up on our uh, uh, website at ueunion.org that that touches on on it and has links to it. Uh, we put an officer statement out. Uh, um, on uh, uh, Monday, uh, April 6th, for anybody who wants to uh, uh, to look at that, um, it, it, that and, and and that addresses a lot of a lot of issues around uh, increased uh, uh, unemployment benefits uh, uh, for an extended period, um, but also uh, dealing with uh, with healthcare issues, dealing with. Uh, student loan relief, uh, rent and mortgage relief, a whole a whole package of items that that need to be addressed. There's also out there the people's bailout, which a lot of organizations uh, that uh, fight on behalf of working people have signed on to, um, and and people can find that on the web. And then there's you know some very specific bills that are just being introduced now. Uh, Senator Sanders and Congresswoman Jayapal on uh, on on this past uh, uh, Friday the. Uh, the uh, 10th of April, I believe, uh, put forward an emergency bill that would uh, immediately require Medicare to cover the medical expenses of anybody who uh, shows up uh, at a medical facility without insurance or or who is un- underinsured um, because of the fact that so many millions of people are losing their jobs right now, um, even temporarily, are are going to be fairly quickly without health insurance, usually. In, in, in most places, unless you've got a good union contract, your health insurance 
ends uh, at the end of the month where you got laid off. So everybody who got laid off in March may, you know, a good chunk of them are already uh, without insurance here in April. And those who got laid off in April will certainly be out of it uh, before May hits. So so that's that's an approach. It's not actually enrolling people in Medicare. It's just saying Medicare will pay the cost. Uh, so it has the same net effect. In fact, it's it's in some ways better because I think they have it structured so that none of the normal co-pays or, or deductibles are there. Um, that would certainly be something good to get into the next uh, uh, package that goes through uh, Congress. Um, I, and I believe they're going to be uh, making further proposals beyond that that actually would start to enroll people into Medicare, which is, is the uh, route we need to do. We need to go, and of course, we need to strengthen Medicare by uh, by getting rid of the deductibles and and copays that that exist now. Um, so, uh, you know, th- those are those are all things that are out there, and there's many. And of course, there's there's the proposal now that um, there be a $13 an hour uh, payment uh, to any any essential workers. So basically, anybody who's being told they've got to keep working should get an extra $13 an hour, um, which they should. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. If you're a very low-wage worker, um, you would, if you got laid off, actually be making more money on unemployment than, than you are working. Uh, so other people in your same category of, of uh, income level are being paid to stay home uh, more than you're getting paid to be at work. So the way we should look at it is those people should get the pay they should get for being home, and then on top of that, get paid for coming to work which means uh, people down in that $10 to $15 uh, wage level should be getting double time and even well beyond that. You can make a strong argument for that. If we, if we value them, if they're saving everybody else's lives by continuing to work and putting their lives at risk, they should all be getting double time. And, and that's, for the lowest wage folks, that's what the $13 an hour does. For those at higher, higher wages, it doesn't do as much, but it's a, it's a real tip-up um, and much beyond uh, the standard, you know, it looks like a lot of uh, grocery stores, for example, are doing $2 an hour. Well, $2 an hour doesn't go very, very far if you end up with a, uh, a life-ending illness or, or, uh, or even just one that's uh, uh, possibly uh, permanently damaged your lungs, uh, et cetera. Um, so I, I think uh, that's, that's a good proposal that's there. And uh, I think, you know, the more we can do along those lines, the better. Great, great. Well, there's so much. I mean, I, I could keep going on. You raised that a whole uh, uh, issue, too, of how this uh, situation is maybe creating a, a whole different balance between the, the power that workers have and, uh, you know, in terms of how much the bosses need them and everything. I'd love to go into that more, but we're, we're short on time, so we're going to have to leave it there. Maybe we can have another conversation in a couple weeks' time uh, for the next program about some of that because there's just so much that you raised that I'd love to go into more, but we just out of time. Um, but Carl, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Okay. Very good. Uh, take care and I'll look forward to talking to you again.